Hi, Eric. Hey, Aaron. Hey, um, I, I can't wait for this episode. Uh, this is going to be fun. Um, how do you want to bring it in? Um, I think we should start with this is and that's is and irrelevancies. So for instance, Perfect. I know you have a correction. Um, maybe pop something like that out of the way. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hey, we want to give a, t- a correction. We were pronouncing Minerva Tykert's wrong. Uh, don't don't bring that we stuff into this. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I was pronouncing <laughs> Minerva Tykert's name wrong. And uh, we'd like to thank friend of the show, Sam, for uh, bringing it to our attention. Yes. Um, and apologies. We are, or at least I don't want to say we inappropriately, but I'm a big fan, <laughs> at least, of Minerva Tykert's. And we don't mean to disrespect her memory in any way. <laughs> um. So I want to start with the opening page of the, um, the opening section of Doctrine and Covenants. Oh, okay. Let just, me, to, let me... just to fire a shot across your bow. The first section, maybe verse 29 or 30. And also those to whom these commandments were given might have power to lay the foundation of this church and to bring it forth out of obscurity and out of darkness the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth with whom it doesn't say with whom, with which I, the Lord am well pleased speaking unto the church collectively and not individually M dash sentence continues for one, two, three more verses, but that's verse 30. Uh, okay. Why would I say this would be the first thing to talk about <laughs> on the, well, sub- on the subject of universalism? I have a couple guesses, but I honestly don't know what where doesn't you're this, with this verse say that we, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints, is the only true and living church? It does, but what does that have to do with salvation? Okay, see, this is why we're going to have fun today. Today we're talking about universalism, right? And how to, approach, how to approach truth, right? What does this verse mean? What does universalism mean? Um, well, anyway, the reason I was thinking about having this as an intro is because I don't know where you're going to go. I don't know what universalism means, but I do know what the uh, what the what I do know about this verse, and I like the idea of a universal truth. Our previous state president, Dean Criddle, uh, a great man for for sure, gave an entire talk once about the phrase "true and living church." Mm-hmm. which has really stuck with me. And he, I've always interpreted true. I'm looking at Wiktionary right now for true. Mm. The first definition on Wiktionary is conforming to the actual state of reality or fact, factually correct. That's what I think of as true. Mm-hmm. And so when I think of the true church, I think of it as being factually correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are nine other definitions here. Two means it conforms to a rule or a pattern. Uh, three is that's the state like of the, Boolean logic. What's that? That's, that's the compass definition. Yes. Straight yeah. North. Right. Um, there's a state of Boolean logic, right? That indicates do, an affirmative do you mean or like, positive result. Like chicken Boolean? <laughs> no, no, I don't. <laughs> oh, okay. That was a good joke, but <laughs> I'm embarrassed that I, I mean, I should know more about that kind of Boolean than this kind of Boolean. <laughs> <laughs> okay. True, true or false in computer science. Um, right. Exactly. Um, and four, which I, believe if i remember correctly is the one uh then president criddle was referring to loyal or faithful 
Oh, interesting. And then there are several other definitions also, which are some, which could be interesting, like accurately following a path toward a target. Mm-hmm. That That's a fun definition for the true church. Yeah. Um, doctrine and anyway. Covenants section one is the introduction to the Doctrine and Covenants. It's the... Yes. The it's supposed only to book be, yeah, in, yeah. for which Jesus dictated the introduction. That's right. All right. So we, you know, in our church, we take, we keep, we keep, we um, take this rather seriously. And I've only ever heard people refer to this word true here as referring to all the other churches, right? Yeah. In comparison, in that sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it always made people uncomfortable, right? And we always kind of be a bit wishy-washy about it when I was a missionary. Maybe not always, maybe not wishy-washy is the wrong word, but you know what I mean? It's like, you didn't really want to bring this up early on. <laughs> That's an interesting observation. Um, one of my favorite verses is the one in Alma about how the Lord raises up teachers to every nation. Mm-hmm. And so whatever it means to be the only true and living church, it certainly does not seem to me that it means any sort of monopoly on truth and livingness. I always like the word living in this statement more than the word true, because we know for a fact that many of the doctrines that were taught as truth in the early days of the church have been disavowed sure. in the later days of the church, right? Although there are and, people that would tell you that therefore they were not doctrines, but you know, whatever. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but the word living here implies a changeable church, right? That mm-hmm. is growing and um, adapting and, you know, being guided or stuff like that. I could cause trouble right now by comparing it to the living constitution, but I won't do that. Oh, that would, that is trouble, <laughs> trouble talking. Okay. So anyway, so uh, there you go. So there's, there, there, here's a study in contrasts. What does it mean to have immutable fact? And what does universalism mean? Okay, maybe, well, I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I don't know. <laughs> Go for it. So here's a definition of God for you. Okay. You can like it or not. Um, for God, truth is no longer mutable. You're discussing immutable truth, but I'm going to propose that we as humans are very foolish when we think we've discovered an immutable truth. Mm-hmm. But perhaps that's the difference between us and God. All right. Well, but, 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 okay, let me see if I can follow. Is there such thing as an immutable truth? I'm going to say yes, but but again, like I think it's dangerously hubristic to think that we know with absolute certainty what those things are. Mm-hmm. Okay, why would we care? This is too much philosophy. Well, I think we care because it's part of our advertising pitch mm-hmm. to be the only true and living church. Mm-hmm. So um, sticking to the definition of truth as uh, conforming with fact means that if, if that's how we interpret the word true and the church is the people, which I think it is, then that's a lot of pressure on us to be immutably correct in all things, which sets us up for um, some grotesque failures. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's start. Where do you, okay, do we want to talk about said failures? <laughs> Where you... Well, one that we've mentioned quite a bit in the last year or so is is um, the race policy, which existed for a long time. Yeah. O- obviously a failure. And the main reason it lasted so long is because 
if it existed, there was a feeling that it must be somehow immutable, even if we couldn't understand that. Sometimes the obvious truth is the true truth. And a little Occam's razor could have solved that problem for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. Okay. Well, um, let's just start by pointing out that one of the dangers of relying on our own conception of truth, um, one of the one of the side effects of that, the pride that goes along with that opinion, is that we end up drawing lines in the sand that maybe we should not draw. For instance, um, I believe in the immutable truth that you cannot hold the priesthood and I will never cross that line because it is true. And that, that confidence in that false doctrine leads me to commit, frankly, grave sins against my fellow man. Mm-hmm. That's not good. And when you're, it's easy for us to judge people in the past, but it's a little harder for us to be sure that we're absolutely right in this moment. We always think we're right, but um, it's, you know, it's hard to know. Mm-hmm. We might be blind to our, our biggest errors. Okay, listen, when you said you wanted to talk about universalism this week, I was excited because I find the word a bit scary. All right. Sure. It's a, it's universal. It's six syllables to start with. It starts at the vowel. Yeah. Um, And also it's, it's much more associated with some of the crazy, practically post-Christian Christian faiths. And Mm -hmm. so risky, risky stuff. And if any of those are listening, we love you guys. Yes. uh, I I am speaking (laughs) at least, at least 20% ironically minimum. Okay. <laughs> uh, what does it mean, universalism? Does it mean you believe everything? No. So essentially what it means is that, and, and there might be multiple definitions. Hey, you know what I still got open? Yeah. Wiktionary. Excellent. Let's see how many definitions there are. Oh, well, this first one's great. Thank you, dictionary. I hate recursive definitions. The first definition is the state of being universal. Yes. Ugh. Nice. Don't nice like work. that. And the second one is the one that we'll be talking about the belief that all souls can attain salvation. And then the third is just in reference to the Unitarian Universalist faith. So we are, we are interested today in this idea that everybody can be saved. I have to say oh. that makes that. Um, okay. Listen, this isn't the first time I've been a complete idiot on this podcast. I did not know that's what universalism meant in what <laughs> you were going to say. I actually thought it meant um, we accept, we uh, believe in all these different truths, right? Mm-hmm. Um, hence why I, you picked the introduction I did about the DNC chapter, right? But that's not what you just said. No, no, that's, that's not what it's about. Um, what it's really about, and this is maybe the dangerous part about it. This is, this is, uh, this is very New Testament. You remember when um, John the Baptist said that, why are you so high and mighty on yourselves? You, you know, you think, cause you're a Jew, you're so great. Like God could, could make people, his own people out of these rocks. Like it doesn't have to be the children of Abraham. It can be anybody. And that's, what's so risky about this is that, um, being the only true and living church makes you feel good about yourself. Just like being the children of Abraham makes you feel good about yourself, but it's dangerous to believe in a God that really does love everyone as much as he loves you. 
dangerous. We want to be special because we want to be special. We think it takes it away. Yeah, I think that is the biggest ask. That's the, what a ridiculous thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think that's the biggest ask of Christianity is to really genuinely believe that every person who has ever lived is just as great as you are. Mm-hmm. Love your neighbor as yourself and not just your neighbor, but like everyone ever as yourself. That That's what God does. And that's the ask. And it's, um, frankly, it's, it's unimaginable. It's impossible, but that's the goal. And if that is the goal, then why are we so eager to send some people to hell? A vision. And we don't even believe in hell. A, a, a vision was open to Joseph Smith. Yes. Name, in fact, it was such a big deal. It was called The Vision. The Vision, capital for, T, capital V. For a long time, it wasn't even before the existence of the Doctrine and Covenants. It was just an awesome thing that happened to the, to the LDS folks back in the 1800s. And they just knew it as the vision. And it was the description of the three degrees of glory, DNC 76. Yeah, it's our, the afterlife we profess. Yeah, right? In which you have a celestial kingdom. You do. And a terrestrial. Yes, indeed. And a telestial. Down at the bottom. Down at the bottom. And uh, people who- Which is still sweet. And go, to, yeah, still great. Telestial kingdom. kingdom is better than this one that we're in right now. Aaron, how do you feel about- our good friend Adolf Hitler going to a kingdom so great that you can't even imagine it. Well, I mean, let's not, I mean, there's still not a, jump straight uh, to the Nazis. Let's not <laughs> jump straight to the Nazis. <laughs> yeah, there are good reasons not to do that. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, and there's, there's still, uh, there's still, okay. So, and there's step, like you don't immediately necessarily end up there. There's like, you know, judgment and whatever, but. But this is this is a difficult thing. And when the vision was received, um, Brigham Young later said it was a great trial to many. Some apostatized because God had a place of salvation in due time for all. Uh, he even said that he himself had a hard time with it. You're my like, traditions, you're Brigham quoting, Young says, you're quoting I'm something. quoting Brigham Young. Uh-huh. Yeah, my traditions, Brigham Young says, were such that when the vision first came to me, it was directly contrary and opposed to my former education. I said, wait a little. I did not reject it, but I could not understand it. And Brigham's brother, Joseph, um, also said, I could not believe it at first, why the Lord was going to save everybody. What? Like, how can I be special if everybody is saved? This, mm-hmm. this, is, a, this is another use I just realized of the prodigal son, right? We're mm-hmm. all the good son and God's out there saving all the prodigals. And we're like, wait a second, but I thought I was special. <laughs> So I don't think universalism tastes good because we don't, we want to be special. And that means not everybody can be saved. I, th- I think that's a human failing. I think it's a weakness we're all prone to. Well, I think we got to be careful with the definition of the word saved. Um, here's, we're going, we're going so deep on Mormon theology. This is so much fun. Okay. Listen, the atonement yeah. of Jesus Christ, right? Consists of two parts water the the resurrection oh okay <laughs> the resurrection and the atonement itself right and sure whatever that means whatever that means okay this is one of my absolute um favorite scriptures in the entire okay dnc 19 therefore i command you to repent repent lest i smite you by the rod of my mouth and my wrath and my anger and your sufferings be sore how sore you know not 
How exquisite you know not. Yea, how hard to bear you know not. For behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all that they may not suffer if they would repent. But if they would not repent, they must suffer even as I. And I'm going to read the next verse, even though it might, in the past it's made me cry. <laughs> Which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of pain and to bleed at every pore and to suffer both body and spirit and would that I may not drink the bitter cup and shrink. Nevertheless, glory be to the God, and I partook and finished my preparations unto the children of men. Right? Yeah. So earlier in the scripture, scripture, he was taught, he, there are the verses, eternal punishment is God's punishment, endless punishment is God's punishment. Okay. What, this, what I have interpreted this scripture to mean, and what I've heard other people say, is that you must repent and accept Christ, and doing so will get you to the terrestrial kingdom. Where you, because you will be forgiven of your sins. And if you choose not to, then you must pay for your sins in the same way that Christ did. And at the end of it, he will save you. And you will go to the celestial kingdom. It never mentions a kingdom here. It doesn't. I don't know why I, th I think this, okay? I would love you to tell me, this is what I was taught. Okay, on my mission by one of the best men in the world, my mission president, right? Um, he specifically talked about the difference between the terrestrial and the celestial kingdom in this context of these, some of my favorite scriptures in the entire doctrine and covenants, right? Mm -hmm. Where did that come from? Am I just crazy? No, it's our unofficial rabbinical tradition. Like, we don't have a rabbinical tradition as Latter-day Saints, but... I wish we did, then we could use the word rabbinical more often. It's a pretty good word, yeah. But we kind of do unofficially, right? Because there's lots of these sort of fill-in-the-gap doctrines which take bits and pieces of the DNC and get talked about so much that a person like you or a person like me thinks that they are canon and they're not. And this would be an example. I mean, this is one of my favorite scriptures too. And the scriptures you just read are the right answer for why this section is so great. Mm -hmm. But for another reason, I have another favorite part mm -hmm. of this and it's the part where you mentioned where it's talking it says the torment is endless torment the torment is eternal torment that's its name but hey hey you're my friends i'm gonna let you in a little secret mm -hmm. that doesn't mean it's endless it doesn't mean it's eternal it's just my name's eternal so it's like eternal punishment but it doesn't mean it's eternal it just means it's my punishment so like i'm gonna let you in a little joke people aren't gonna suffer forever it's just a way of freaking people out to be <laughs> better because you know some people need that I love the personality of God here. Like he has a sense of humor mm -hmm. and uh, he uh, isn't above playing a little prank on people. I love it. I love it. When I think of salvation, this is what I think about the salvation from your sins to achieve a degree of glory. Right. Yeah. That's what I think. So restate your definition of universalism. Okay. So uh, universalism, and I'm just lifting this again from Wiktionary. Two, the belief that all souls can attain salvation. All right. So we're in total agreement. The scripture teaches universalism. End of podcast. Uh, well, I, I think <laughs> you can argue it does. I think this is where the rabbinical tradition jumps in again. Um, I suspect, I, I'm not an expert on this stuff. Theologians, please correct us. But I think universalism sort of is born in contrast with 
Calvinism with the idea that some people are born damned and they can't be saved. Um, and so universalism rejects that, like everyone can be saved. Now the question, um, and I, I kind of wish this, this um, definition was different because it says the belief that all souls can attain salvation. But I think another definition of universalism as I see it used is the belief that all souls will attain salvation. And that I think is the interesting problem we're addressing tonight. I think well, any Latter-day Saint would agree that anybody can attain salvation, but that everyone will, that's that is a that's a rougher question. Are we just going to sweep the devil under the rug here? Yeah, yeah, he doesn't count. He uh, he he's and not part his, of the party. He left the his, party before the party began. And all his friends in the in the kingdom which shall not be named. <laughs> yeah, although I'll make a quick pitch for Iriantum right now. Okay. I love how if we have a a, mem a non member and they just heard me say the kingdom that can't be named, they're going to think that um, we have a, a Voldemort in our church. <laughs> and you know what? I'm just not going to correct it. So I don't speak Spanish, but this story I'm going to attempt to pronounce the title of real fast. It's Ino Preguntes Mas. This is a story originally written in Spanish by a uh, Latter Day Saint from Argentina. And in this story, it's what we might call a speculative salvation story. And it's about a devil named Amaliel who's off doing his job, tempting people, but he sort of stops being a true believer in Satan's way. And uh, he begins to feel regret. And eventually he's... Uh, desperate for forgiveness. And the next thing he knows, he's being born into a human body. Now, this is this is not canonical in any way. It is, as I said, totally speculative fiction, uh, very Mormon speculative fiction, speculative all the same. And my point isn't that the story is right, but my point is it's not hard to imagine um, things that aren't expressly forbidden by scripture. But more by our tradition. Okay. Who said the following? Okay. It is my job. <laughs> oh, I know who said this. <laughs> this line is like <laughs> the best line. It's so terrible. <laughs> yeah. Who said the following? My job is to define doctrine. Your job is either to support what I say or be quiet. <laughs> That's Brother Bruce. <laughs> okay, so you just said this wonderful thing. It would be really cool if there were salvation for everybody, even El Diablo, right? And likewise, it would be very cool if there was movement between kingdoms. Yes. All right, so that if you reject the gospel on earth and you obtain the terrestrial kingdom because you did a Okay, let's say it this way. You you did not get baptized, but you accepted Christ somehow, and you went got made it to the terrestrial kingdom, right? You're not stuck there for all of infinity. Right. Okay? It's a long time. Which is, um, I mean, we believe in three degrees of glory, and none therein shall transit between them. That's not scripture either, but yeah. Okay, so, okay, when I say we believe there, maybe yeah. I should say that's what I was taught. I definitely remember hearing that as well in church as a kid. Okay. So but this... we are of the generation that was born uh, towards the end of Bruce R. McConkie's tenure on the um, 
on, as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, and he had strong opinions. Shall I read from the seven deadly heresies, the relevant heresy? You should. Um, so the thing that we just quoted, this quote, is comes at the end of this, or kind of in the middle of the story. And it was a conflict between two men, okay? Elder Bruce R. McConkie, apostle of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, up through the up through the mid-80s, I want to say, or early yeah. 80s. And Eugene England, a liberal um, professor of something? Literature. Professor uh, of literature. And other at, things, Mormon at, studies. At BYU, right? Both, I would argue, like truly excellent human beings. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to put an article um, in the show notes entitled um, A Professor and Apostle Correspond, Eugene England and Bruce R. McConkie on the Nature of God. Okay. And this article was written by Rebecca England. Any relation? I believe that's his daughter. Okay. Um, And it's on the Eugene England Foundation website. And it's fantastic. It walks through. It's a roller coaster, man. It's a roller coaster. And you got to read it from start to finish, dear listener. In which um, Eugene England and Bruce Armaconkey had a correspondence, which led to this truly, I mean, we don't know that it did, but it obviously did. <laughs> it led to this truly famous talk by Bruce Armaconkey called The Seven Deadly Heresies. Yeah. And there are actually more than one general conference talk given by Bruce Armaconkey that seems to be a direct rebuke of Eugene England mm-hmm. uh, over the pulpit at general conference. So yeah. here's heresy five from the seven deadly heresies uh-huh. of Eugene. I should, Eugene England, I should point out, um, was a believer in universalism and a believer that you could move from kingdom to kingdom. And he also had some curious, uh, unique ideas about how the atonement worked and, and so forth. But the one we're interested in here is the idea that you're not stuck. You can keep moving. Heresy five says Bruce R. There are those who say that there is progression, Eugene England, from one kingdom to another in the eternal worlds and that, or that lower kingdoms eventually progress to where higher kingdoms once were. This belief lulls men into a state of carnal security. It causes them to say, God is so merciful. Surely he will save us all eventually. If we do not gain the celestial kingdom now, eventually we will. So why worry? It lets people live a life of sin here and now with the hope that they will be saved eventually. The true doctrine is that all men will be resurrected but they will come forth in the resurrection with different kinds of bodies, some celestial, some terrestrial, some telestial, and some with bodies incapable of standing any degree of glory. The body we receive in the resurrection determines the glory we receive in the kingdoms that are prepared. Of those in the telestial world, it is written, and they shall be servants of the Most High, but where God and Christ dwell, they cannot come, world without end. That's from DNC 76. Of those who had the opportunity to enter into the new and everlasting covenant of marriage in this life and did not do it, the revelation says, and this is from 132, therefore, anyway, they will, they can be saved in salvation, celestial kingdom, but they will not be gods. They progress neither from one kingdom to another, nor does a lower kingdom ever get where a higher kingdom once was. Whatever eternal progression there is, it is within a sphere. And Bruce R. said in other places that he was unaware of anyone of the leadership of the church ever in the history of the church saying anything else. He was wrong, but as far as he was aware, he said <laughs> no one had ever said anything differently. Okay. This Which gets doc- to why the Joseph Smith papers may be so important, <laughs> but go ahead. Okay. This doctrine is very important because of how depressing it is. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, but it's definitely something I was taught and believed for a long time, and I'm very excited about today's show because we get to talk about it. Um, and um, okay, so we you did we did I do want to not paper over something you said because I do know that we have listeners who are not um, members of our church. You did mention that the celestial kingdom, which is the highest kingdom. Um, allows you to live the kind of life that God lives. Yes, uh, with eternal increase, being godlike and doing godly things. Mm-hmm. Then shall yeah. they be gods. Um, which is a straight quote from the DNC, if I remember right. This also, speaking of our non-existent rabbinical tradition this is why some of the brethren in the utah years said that um males resurrected males only those going to the celestial kingdom would get to have a penis because okay. only there were they reproducing so <laughs> i feel like we were doing great <laughs> sorry did i did, did i do did i derail us i thought we were talking about fun things that were said in the past <laughs> Okay, listen, the reason why it's kind of a depressing doctrine that once you're in a kingdom, you stay in that kingdom, is that this celestial kingdom prize, is that the right word? Destiny? Fate? Yeah. Is so bombastically better than anything else you could possibly imagine. All right? You ever seen the movie Hercules? Uh, A long time ago. 1990s? Okay. Yeah. I didn't like it, so oh, uh, come but on. T- feel free to tell me I was wrong. You literature <laughs> professor, you. <laughs> it was part of, there was a stretch where I just, there was not a Disney movie I liked from, uh, I don't know. And that was right dead in the middle of the ones that I didn't like. <laughs> Hercules is talking to Zeus, Zeus in the temple of Zeus, right? Yeah. When he learns that he is, was, uh, had, was adopted and grew up from a human family. And he says, you're a god, you know, he says, you're, you know, Zeus says that he's your son, that, you know, you're my son. And he goes, that would make me a god. A god? <laughs> he says it just <laughs> like that, right? And he goes, and it's just an amazing revelation, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, it's a big deal. And then, oh, you have all of eternity, but you can't get there uh, if you're in the terrestrial kingdom. Yeah. Forget about it. Which is better than saying, okay, it is better than saying half of everybody goes to hell. I mean, yeah, let's not mince words. That, in my opinion, is great. Yeah, it's generous. Let but them eat cake. Be, but it could be better. Yeah, could be. And it was better at one point. So I'm going to be uh, reading a little bit. I'm stealing some stuff from Terrell Givens' recent biography of Eugene England. Uh, he's quoting these things to make the point that Gene was on solid standing, historically speaking, arguably stronger than Bruce R. McConkie for just talking about what was said in the early days of the church. So, for instance, um, Charlotte Haven was a Nauvoo, Illinois resident who heard Joseph Smith say that a spirit in the lowest kingdom can constantly progresses in spiritual knowledge until safely landed in the celestial. That sounds exactly like heresy number five hmm. to me. Um, in the original endowment um apparently and and if you think about the endowment today um symbolic you you pass from celestial kingdom into our world into the telestial then the terrestrial then the celestial kingdoms that's the path you take ritually in the temple 
And that's how it was in Nauvoo also with the idea that everyone ends up in the celestial kingdom once you start on that path. Uh, Joseph Smith believed that pretty much everybody was going to get saved except for those few sons of perdition who insist on damnation, refuse Christ's love all the way to the end. Joseph Smith later taught man cannot be damned through all eternity. There is a possibility for his escape in a little time. Um, Hiram Smith said the same thing. Brigham Young also. He said, this is in 1855, that those who failed to secure exaltation by the conclusion of their earthly probation would eventually have the privilege of proving themselves worthy and advancing to celestial kingdom, but it would be a slow progress. Lorenzo Snow, decades later, also agrees. B.H. Uh, Roberts, who explicitly interpreted Smith's near universalism to imply a steadfast progression through the kingdoms of glory. Though scripture was vague, Roberts argued, the ministry alluded to in each kingdom seemed meaningless unless it be for the purpose of advancing our father's children along the lines of eternal progression. James Talmadge, who is the only apostle to officially write a book of theology, um, unlike Bruce R. McConkie's, which was made the brethren really unhappy. Yeah. James Talmadge's was officially endorsed by the other brethren. In the, in the first edition of Talmadge's book, Articles of Faith, he said the answer was implicit in the principle of eternal progression itself, quote, advancement from grade to grade within any kingdom and from kingdom to kingdom will be provided for eternity is progressive, close quote. So from Joseph Smith through James Talmadge, heresy five was standard issue Mormonism. Okay, let's, let's, yes, can you, the, I'm just flabbergasted by that quote from Articles of Faith. I've read Articles of Faith. I don't remember that quote. In Can the first just... edition, it explicitly says, Gibbons especially explicitly says that's the first edition. So maybe it didn't make it into later editions. I don't know. Hmm. But you want, did you, were you asking me to do something? Just say it again. Advancement from grade to grade within any kingdom and from kingdom to kingdom will be provided for. Eternity is progressive. This is on page 277. This is a chapter called A Dangerous Discipleship. Oh, I found that while you're looking, I found the Bruce R. McConkie quote I was telling you about earlier. It's on this exact same page, actually. Bruce R. McConkie told one questioner, the scriptures say there is no progression from one kingdom to another. This really should settle the matter. I am not aware of any of the present or past general authorities ever thought any differently than this. And that's in the Articles of Faith as well? No, that's Bruce R. McConkie writing someone a letter. Ah, okay. Writing a letter to Mrs. Vida H. Lind. Okay, well, let's, let's assume that that quote wasn't removed. We can't really assume that quotes aren't removed. Um, because... That's what addition means, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, but let's say that that's, that's in there. Oh, that's really interesting. But, he, but the first edition was approved by the Quorum of the Twelve in the First Presidency. Mm-hmm. So even if it was changed later, it had been approved at one point. Is Talmadge's book, Jesus the Christ, in the same, does it have the same kind of Status? Yes. Yeah. Jesus the Christ and Articles of Faith. Uh, Talmadge was given a room in the Salt Lake Temple and sent to write his works of theology because we needed some. And he was put in charge of it. By the way, fun fact about James Talmadge, scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, this is fantastic. I've read. I love I've read Jesus. OK, I love both those books. I don't know. Does it sound braggy if I say I've read them? Kind of sounds a little braggy. <laughs> so you read them. I was just telling my kids that. <laughs> the reason I started reading the Old Testament in seventh grade was because there's a story of Spencer W. Kimball when he was like 10 or something. He was at a state conference and general authority visited and asked, how many of you have read the whole Bible? And like only three people could raise their hands. So he decided he was going to read the Bible, the whole thing. 
Mm-hmm. And that's why I decided to, because if a general authority asks, if you read the whole Bible, I want to be able to raise my hand. So oh, there you go. That's great. <laughs> I'm no I'm, better than you. I've not read the Bible, the whole thing. <laughs> so you are better than me. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know. <laughs> uh, okay. So there we go. Um, why did, um, why is this universal? Okay. So why? Hmm. You have to understand that up to a week ago, I did not know any of this existed and I was have been under the impression that once you get locked in, you get locked in. And I remember countless kind of wishy-washy explanations around it, such as, okay, you didn't make it to the celestial kingdom, but you made it to the terrestrial kingdom. But guess what? Your life and your character and your soul are such that this is going to make you happy and you'll be very pleased with this result and won't worry about it. Yeah, it's exactly where you want to be. Yep, it's exactly where you want it to be. And I've heard that, and I've always thought to myself, hmm, you know, that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) But I always kind of just said, oh, okay, sure, I guess. I mean, I don't know who other people are that are so dumb that they don't know what the celestial kingdom is (laughs) and don't don't want that reward. (laughs) I can't remember exactly what we said. Sound, I'm sorry, that's made of sounded kind of. Oh, Oh, no, it's okay. (laughs) I was going to say, and remember the Good Place episode we did? Yeah, I don't remember exactly what we said about the conclusion, but I recently watched that show with the boys, um, yeah. Lindsay and I did, and I've been thinking about the end again, and it does make a solid argument for if there's if there's a limit to to like what you can do, then what is the point of eternity? Mm-hmm. It, yeah, right. Which is why. McConkie's definition of increasing kingdoms actually kind of works for me and always has. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's um, heresy number one, if I remember (laughs) right. Right. Uh, Let's see. Let me scroll up. In one sentence, heresy one is there are those who say that God is progressing in knowledge and is learning new truths. This is false, utterly, totally, and completely. There's not one sliver of truth in it. It grows out of a wholly twisted and incorrect view of the King Follett sermon and what is meant by eternal progression. Okay, just a brief aside. Um, the uh, that's not the original quote. Oh, is is this one of the parts that got changed for publication? Um, it's more than that. Okay, tell me, tell me. You're you are looking at a you're reading speeches.byu.edu. That's right? correct. That's where I. That's where I'm reading. There's from. A, a concordance. Oh, which okay. is not the GC version, is it? Um, the GC. Uh, General Conference, sorry. Mm-hmm. It's probably a different version. Yeah, this okay. is in June. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm listening. There's a concordance on what used to be fairmormon.org and as now fairlatterdaysaints.org. At least I, think, I assume that's how, how it worked. Between the audio version of the talk and the published oh. version. Okay. So two things. I love first, it when people do things like that. First of all, after he gave this talk, he yes. got called in to President Kimball's office. Right? Yeah, he was always getting called in for stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, um, and, and, and so afterwards, he went back and revised the tone, right? And so there's some stuff about evolution that was greatly toned down, Yeah, for, for example. But there's a quote that's still not in your version that was left in the toned down version, okay? Okay. So here we're in heresy number one. Will he one day learn something that will destroy the plan of salvation and turn man and the universe into an uncreated nothingness? Will he discover a better plan of salvation 
than the one he has already given to men in worlds without number. Okay, this is the part that I think that is not in your version. Okay, okay I'm listening. I have been sorely tempted to say at this point that any who so suppose have the intellect of an ant and the understanding of a clod of miry clay in a primordial swamp. Yes, that part is missing. <laughs> bracket, <laughs> laughter, and bracket. But of course, I would never say a thing like that. Bracket, <laughs> laughter, and bracket. Uh, <laughs> that guy. Yeah, and obviously he's talking directly. It's like a dig in the um to um Eugene. It's, it's a speech given at BYU, at, which, yeah. which is where Gene England works. Um. Anyway. The part that I liked about this, and I always have liked, is that I, I love my family, right? Mm -hmm. And it made sense to me that one could learn, you know, how the universe works. And given enough time and study, you could tahani your way, using a good <laughs> place analogy, and learn how the universe works, all right? Sure. And get to a point where you got it. So what's what's eternal progression mean for you then? Well, you just have your family gets bigger and bigger. Your kingdoms and dominions get bigger and bigger. Yeah. Right? And that's right out of this part here, what if, right out of this McConkie talk. I always thought that was very cool. But that's not what Eugene England thinks. That God is still progressing in his is his is it was his belief. Yeah, he's also willing to kick against heresy one and say that God is also progressing. Yeah. Um, and this this is where we get come back to where I started our conversation with hubris. And I think in this case, although generally when it comes to this entire conversation, I'm more on on England side than McConkie's. When it comes to this specific question, I think that assuming we understand what these words mean when we're talking about God. Is a ridiculous thing for us to assume. Yeah, uh, there's there's just how can we possibly even know what we're talking about if we say God is or is not progressing. Like, what does that even mean? Like, who do we think we are that we can even understand the words coming out of our mouths when we say that? So um, I don't really want to pick sides on this one because I think they're both wrong simply because human understanding is so shallow. I mean, um, when you think about the atonement, um, and this is something that my, my dad taught me, right? It's really hard to understand just in general, yeah. you know, does it mean this or does it mean that, right? Does it mean like Christ paid for me in like some kind of uniform amount or was it some kind of infinite thing? And if it was infinite, what does that even mean? And it's just really hard to understand. My dad, and I asked my, I asked my dad this once, I said, dad, what does this mean? And his response was, it's like a cube that you hold up to a, to a light and you can only see the shadow. You can turn it and it's a square or you can turn it and it's a hexagon and you don't, and you don't see the cube. Um, okay. Here's what I get out of this discussion of universalism. Hope. Sure. Yeah. I always, I don't know. I don't know that I buy a progressing God, one that is still learning how physics works. I'm not sure I buy it. Right. Yeah. But the idea of moving between kingdoms and the celestial kingdom, that's great. I think that I've I've always wanted to believe that. Yeah. I'm not I'm not I'm not going to because <laughs> I don't know I have not seen it written down anywhere. But at least now I think now I know that there are people out there who think that maybe um 
Bruce R. McConkie was, was wrong here in this heresy talk? Well, I, I have a theory why he and um, some of his similarly thinking folk felt that way. My theory is that, uh, as he said in the Seven Deadly Heresies, believing in universalism lulls men into a state of carnal security. We don't have to do anything. I think that really scared him. And I think it also scared him because uh, it's a what's our motivation for missionary work. Of course, you could say what's our motivation anyway, when we already believe that everyone will definitely get a chance, whether it's in this life or not. But I think I think he was really genuinely concerned about those things. Well, I think there's some value in that statement, right? There is value in avoiding complexity. I mean, not complexity. Complacency. Complacency. Um, uh, all is well in Zion, you know? Yeah. We don't have to worry about it. Everybody will get there. If you believe in this doctrine of universalism, and okay, let's distinguish it. Let's actually coin a phrase, okay? You heard it here first. There's universalism, which is... Um, salvation right and then there's universalism which is eternal referring to eternal progression okay right and those are kind of two different con concepts right yeah i think we can draw a distinction if we want to if you believe in this other kind of universalism then i think it's a real danger that you would not that you would become complacently complacent and not worry about anybody the only good news is that if you understand the law of the gospel at all, okay, which is to love your fellow um, neighbor as yourself, your, your compulsion to help people not be unhappy will get you straight on through that, that complacency, right? It doesn't matter that someday this person who is suffering um, will be happy because of universalism, even if it's true. Doesn't matter. They're suffering now. Sure. Let's do something oh, about it. Yeah, that kind of complacency worries me a lot more. Mm -hmm. We got to, and that I mean, that that can answer the question, like why why do missionary work? Right. Right. Um, but look, the, the the family can be forever doctrine brings a great deal of happiness. Okay. And that's a good reason to talk to people about it. <laughs> but then also just everything else about the law of the gospel, I was just saying. Okay, you had a quote. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a different quote. Okay. Um, in the words of the great Dr. Emmett Brown. <laughs> <Revered. Marty, laughs> you're not thinking fourth dimensionally. <laughs> that's good. And I saw some. I feel like, I I feel like he should be a reverend. I feel like you should say. The Reverend Dr. Brown. <laughs> I was hoping to mislead you into thinking I might be uh, going down a road like that, but <laughs> um, but as Dr. Brown says, we do have a difficulty thinking fourth dimensionally, and if we are universalist, then um, it explains this weird idea that somebody said to me in the last year or so. I think I saw it on Twitter, but I really don't remember what the source is. But someone was proposing that the purpose of missionary work is to make sure the church can keep the temples busy because ultimately work for dead work for the dead is the church's real job. It's not really, when you look at the numbers, it's not converting the living it's performing ordinances for the dead. And so we need enough members to make the temples function. That's the real purpose of the church. It's 
say, uh, redeeming the dead is the most important part. Proclaiming the gospel and perfecting the saints is only important in as much as it supports that great task of the church, because that is where most of the souls are. How do you feel about that, Aaron? Tell me again, the quote, the quote source again, say it, say it again. I have no idea where it came from. Um, I just saw it somewhere, but the, but the concept is that work for the dead is the real purpose of the church and everything else just supports that. Yeah, I don't buy it. I think it's a good idea. I, th- I like the sentiment, but it goes back to what I was saying earlier, right? They're suffering to relieve now. Sure. Right. And um, the, the threefold mission of the church is late, was changed to the, be the fourfold, which is, you know, helping the, helping the poor. Yeah, right? I haven't heard much about that in a while. Hmm. I would um, love it if we did talk more about caring for the poor. Yeah. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's the people I'm listening to. Perhaps, perhaps. Anyway, I think it's out there. Four is less of a magic number than three. It is. <laughs> okay. So um, universalism. Huh. I feel like I learned a lot in this episode. Um, I think it's a really important question. Like Because if you choose to accept it, it changes the color of so many other things. It's like, it's like um, you were working in a dark room with either the white light on or the red light on, depending on how you feel about this. And then you've just flipped the other switch. And now instead of red, you have white or instead of white, you have red and everything looks different. It's all the same. It's all the same stuff, but you see it differently. And I, I think this interpretation of our theology does that. Doesn't it? make more sense too in terms of a loving god it does to me i mean your comment about the prodigal son was so good who was it in our we had such a great talk about the prodigal son in church recently where every single character in the story from the father to the brother to the to the son that returns to the servants right right there are all people they're all people that we can relate to in some point parts in our life yeah. And even the pig, um, maybe. Even the pig. <laughs> <Wee>. <laughs> they didn't say that in their talk. I'm adding that. Okay. <laughs> but the point um, is that, uh, you know, I love my kids and I always will. And it doesn't matter what they do. Yeah. They can, they can always come home. Yeah. The more, the more I consider this question, the more certain I am that it's, a more accurate way of looking at the world. And if, if we want to be true in the sense of being, um, what is the adjective form of fidelity? True to the facts. Then, you know, if we want to be accurate, I, I feel like this is probably more in keeping with the nature of God, which Joseph Smith has told us that's what we need to worry about anyway. There is one more point about the complacency thing, yeah. which I think is important. Why not? do whatever you want in this life if you're going to have forever to fix it right you drink and be merry for tomorrow we god die. will save us all well i think That's... the answer probably comes back to an understanding of christ's atonement right and understanding that your misdeeds even if they hurt nobody right they you still have someone that um that that took that took them upon took those deeds upon him right yeah I spent uh, the last couple of years I was teaching seminary emphasizing a definition of the atonement that makes it the atonement is the relationship we have with Jesus Christ that 
as he reaches out, we're always reaching back. And it's less about like forgiveness isn't really the right word. And, um, and you know, growth maybe isn't even the right word, but it's a willingness to reach out and, and grab him by the hand. And I think that that fundamentally is a more, um, a more coherent definition of the atonement. Like, because we can, all the things like, you know, how our sins wash away, like all that sort of, or, or like the mediation or, you know, paying for the debt, like all those, all those metaphors that we have, um, none of them ever struck me as exactly accurate. And I think they're all true in their way and they're all useful, but I think ultimately it's, do we have a relationship with the savior? And if we do, then we by virtue of maintaining that relationship, we're repenting, we're accepting the atonement. That's what it is. It's a relationship. Okay, I love it. Hey, um, we have a Discord server. If you have thoughts on the subject, then go ahead and sound off there. Or you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Aaron Brewster and Eric is? At Amazing, T-H-M-A-Z-I-N-G. We thank Daniel Foster Smith for our music. You can find us on iTunes and on Spotify. Oh, you did it. I did it a long time ago and didn't realize I had. And it took oh. one of my friends um, finding us on Spotify and sending it the link to me and saying, hey, look, you're on Spotify <laughs> for me to realize it. So <laughs> well, thank you very much, Aaron. Okay. Well, we are a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network. They have a new show. So you want to talk about Mormonism? You obviously do or you wouldn't be here. You might That's check right. it out. I haven't listened to it yet, but it, it, it was just added like a month ago, I think. Actually, it was this month. It was this month that was added to the network. So it's an exciting and growing place to find people talking about this sort of stuff. All right. Thanks, Eric. Bye. Thank you. Bye.